Thank you, Lord. Amen. You ever, uh, you probably notice as, uh, as people uh, sitting, I do, as sitting uh, on a pew, I notice sometimes people say a lot of the same things. And one of the things I say a lot is God deserves nothing less than our very best praise. Amen. So when we sing this song, I always think of that. He deserves nothing less than our best praise. Amen. Whatever we have to offer uh, God, that and the best we have. You remember the Bible studies uh, when people ask about, oh, do I need to go out and buy a suit to come to church? You know what? If that's your best, then, you know, bring a suit. If whatever your best, come before the Lord with your best. Amen. If it's uh, uh, just a pair of pants and a polo shirt, come to church in your best. Give God your best, whatever it is. And as you've been in the church long enough, you have seen people bring in their best. Amen. No matter how much or how less that was. Amen. And God appreciates that. Amen. And, and, and when you come in like that, I believe you're coming with an open mind and an honest heart. And I haven't said it in a long time, but the mind is like a parachute. It only works when it's open. Amen. And let's open our minds today. Let God's word just saturate our hearts today because we're going to talk about God's word. Why don't you shake someone's hand before you are seated this morning. Tell them, I have an open mind. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday. Um, Sister Pearl and I were up in Colorado, so we've missed two Sundays in a row. Um, I am telling you, there's nothing like church in Florida, especially in Fort Myers, and especially getting up and walking out your door. <laughs> it's not like Colorado. It was the coldest, I think. We, we had visited Colorado. As you know, our kids live up there, and uh, I think this was the coldest. It was below zero a few days. I was like, oh. Thank you, Lord. Now, we've experienced cold. We lived in Minnesota for five years, so we know what cold's all about. But, uh, man, we do not miss it. And as I always tell people, my wife says this is the coldest she ever wants to be in Fort Myers. And sometimes it's even too cold. If Brother Buck was here, he'd say amen to that. In the 1940s, there was a play that was on Broadway, won several Tony Awards, uh, quite a few Tony Awards uh, in, the, in the late 40s. Uh, it's called uh, Death of a Salesman by Arthur Miller. Some of you might have heard of that. Uh, some of you younger people probably never heard of that. Uh, it was made into a movie twice, actually. Um, it's, uh, it revolves around or it's centered around a sales, uh, older salesman, Willie Loman, who was failing at his job in his latter years. And during the course of this story, he was fired from, uh, for underperformance. Uh, the story ends uh, on the last 24 hours of his life. Of course, the title, Death of a Salesman, you would suspect that he's going to pass away, and he did. <clears throat> After being let go, a uh, dramatic life-changing event, he realizes that he has not lived up to his potential. He realized that, you know what, way back in the day, I thought it, everything was going to go great and I would be retired by now. Uh, but he realized that 
he's not going to retire wealthy. He started re to recall all his failures in his personal life, too. Jealousy of his uh, brother, who was a diamond tycoon that struck it rich when he found some diamonds in Africa. His uh, marital uh, unfaithfulness, which he only com uh, confided in his, uh, his son, who caught him in this uh, particular circumstance. And, uh, of course, they kept it between themselves. He never uh, uh, revealed that, and so that was weighing on him as well. And, of course, uh, because of this secret, it scarred his relationship with his son. He eventually remembers his life insurance policy. Uh, back then it was a lot, but now it's not, $20,000. And he realizes, you know what, I'll be better off dead than alive. And so he orchestrated a single car accident, uh, car accident, and uh, um, to cash in for his family, for his wife, uh, this money. And, uh, of course, this, no pun intended, but or maybe it is, the salesman's uh, last commission was his death. In the final scene, the families gather around his uh, casket, and his son makes two statements about his dad. The first one is this. He had all the wrong dreams. All, all wrong, he said. The second is this. He didn't know who he was. It was true. Willie didn't feel he had any self-value, so he looked to external things to give him value. There was no governor if you will. Let me add that. There was nothing in his life to prevent him from looking out and getting excited about the shiny things in life. We've mentioned that before in other many messages about how our eyes sometimes uh, wander to the world and the shiny things in life. There was money, uh, uh, respect, admiration. That's what he was longing for. When he lost these things, he lost himself. His identity was crushed. What he thought was important to him broke down. Uh, he lived for the wrong things. He eternalized the wrong things. He eternalized the wrong things. But unlike Willie, we can eternalize the right things to enable our physical way we can do this is what we're going to talk about today is that as Christians, we can hide God's word in our hearts. We can internalize that. We can put that in there. And when that is in our heart, it will govern us. It will, it will uh, help us. Uh, it will help us stay focused on the things that are important to our life as a and working faith, a faith that is useful and focused. Our faith is meaningful, and it makes a difference in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Some people know a great deal about the Bible, but are faithless. However, there are not many people of great faith who know very little about the Bible. As we increase in knowledge of the Word of God, our faith will also grow. The entire Bible is inspired. We read the Bible as a divinely inspired document written by numerous authors across the span of many years. Scripture supports that it was produced through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The inspiration of the Bible is not something that the Bible seeks to defend itself with. It doesn't need debating or proof 
The Bible is not that. It does, it's not set to prove itself. It seems to be laid out based on faith. Biblical archaeology has proven the Bible, mainly the New Testament, is the most historically, verifiably document from the ancient world. There are over 6,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. The Bible may be historically verified, but this alone doesn't require inspiration. So to read the divinely inspired word, get this, to read it, faith is necessary. While I was going over this, this, this is some really good stuff. I was thinking about all the people that, that debate the Bible out there of not being true or, or real. I've read the Bible a couple times, they say. Oh, great. But have you ever put faith into what you're reading? Because if you don't, then you're not going to get stuff. You're not going to get anything out of that. And so that, that I, I kind of went, oh, that's another weapon in my arsenal to, when I talk to people about it. Have you, done, have you put faith in your reading? I am one of those guys, a black and white kind of guy. I, 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 I like troubleshooting. I like fixing problems. And if you come and tell me you don't believe in a verse, I am going to either prove you right or wrong. I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to do that. And sometimes I, I have made the mistake over in the years of, say, if, of forgetting about faith. How do you feel about this? And other times I remember, I said, if you go to the altar with an open mind and an honest heart to God, you are going to get something for God. No matter who you are and what you've done, if you are completely honest with yourself and with God and repent, God will forgive you. He will. The Bible says that. That's the black and white thing. But the other thing is you have to come ready to receive that. And so that's what the word of God does for us. The element of faith that seems to bring the scriptures to life is this. It's the element of faith. So without faith, inspiration is impossible. Yet with faith, inspiration is natural. Paul told Timothy that scripture is useful for what? Teaching, correction, training, and righteousness. Although the Bible may contain scientific or historical claims, the usefulness of scripture is focused on instructing and guiding believers to live righteous lives. When we stop using the scripture in this way, we are no longer using them wisely. The Bible has two testaments, we know, the old and the new, but the new did not replace the old. In fact, the New Testament often relies upon the Old Testament as a Holy Ghost-inspired revelation. Peter wrote to believers about the meaning of the Old Testament uh, and its revelation in 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is, in, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Scripture was not the private thinking of wise or educated men in Israel. It was a public revelation given to all people. The majority of the New Testament is written in the everyday context of spiritual growth and of building up churches. I wanted to 
when I, when I wrote this down, I wanted to make that plain. The majority of the New Testament was written in the everyday context of spiritual growth and of building up churches. The Gospels provide, in other words, it's not some big, ooh, magical mystery thing. It was, it was written to us. It was written plain. It was written in a way that we can read it and understand it as well. And when we have faith, things seem to even open up even more. The Gospels provide believers who did not personally know Jesus with an illustration of him in kind of a storied format. Up to this point, most believers had only encountered Jesus through preaching. This was back in the day. And personal experiences through the Holy Spirit. The Gospels are also theological works that not only brought the Jews to Jesus, but it also connected the Gentile Christians to the people of Israel through the faith of Jesus. We might get into that in, in a little bit more later. The book of Acts is a the, uh, theological, I'm sorry, theological history that shows us the first accounts of practices, doctrines, and the works of an apostolic church. Uh, Luke, he, what he did was he normalized Christian history in the book of Acts, and this provided a template to help churches and believers experience spiritual growth. Uh, the rest of the New Testament, we realize, besides Revelation, is uh, contains many practical letters written by Paul and Peter, uh, John, James, Jude, and, and the author of Hebrews. Uh, these letters to the early churches um, uh, were important in theology and also addressing key issues in churches. Their goal was to ensure that churches enabled practices necessary for spiritual growth. The New Testament is very practical and relevant in its collection of documents to help corporate and individual spiritual growth. I said a while ago it was kind of a plain thing. In these letters and these documents to the church helps us corporately, like when we come here for prayer, when we come here for church, and also individually when we go out and we take this gospel to the world, when we go out to our prayer closet, we go out into our communities. It helps us. It helps us live a holy and faithful life. And so the Bible talks about hiding God's word in your heart. There are many genuine reasons, genuine reasons to study God's word. Many of them we just mentioned. And I, I wanted to kind of lay down some of, some of this and, and, and talk to you about the, the word of God for the rest of this lesson here. The inspiration of God's word, uh, the Old Testament's relevance is one of the, the uh Reasons to study uh, the effectiveness of the New Testament for Christian growth, growth is another reason to study. These are good. However, Psalms 119 says this, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I remember a couple weeks ago I taught on uh, speaking God's word, knowing God's word, how, the, how, Sa how Jesus, when Satan brought him to the wilderness, he used God's word to fight the devil, to tell the devil, hey, sorry, it is written. It is written. And when we hide God's word in our heart, we are able to come out, you know, use that as an arsenal. Pull your, you know, draw your six-shooter. It it's there. It's loaded. It's ready to go. You have it in your heart. For the word of God to have real benefit 
in our lives, we must hide it in our hearts. We must have it there. We have to use it, too. We can't just bury it, right? We have to use that word. It is not enough just to know God's word, but it must be applied in our lives to allow it to change our hearts and minds and spirits. God's word teaches us how to live. There are two primary focuses of the Bible. First uh, is the scripture's revelation of a personal God. Second, it reveals the faith or the life of faith to those following Jesus and helps them to practice their faith through daily living. When I first came in the church, you know what the word of God was for me? And I, I, I hope we're not doing this nowadays. If we are, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But it was just to combat other faith. Do you know the word of God? Then you can defend what the apostolic church or the, the, your faith or wherever you are, you can defend that. And I did. That's what I was doing. And that's all I knew. I knew the Great Commission. I knew Acts. I knew uh, a couple things in Psalms and stuff like that. I knew those, those scriptures. I, I knew Romans Road, front and backward, the apostolic version of Romans Road, Romans ver, uh, chapter 10. You know, believe on the Lord and you shall be saved. Well, how do you believe? Well, this is great. I, it's like coming over my head how many times I sat in with a Baptist or with a Catholic or something like that, and they were going over Romans Road, and I said, yeah, but you got to read the next scripture. How can you hear it without a preacher, right? I, I knew that. That was hid. But you know what? Where was the growth? Where was, where was the personal stuff that I needed in my life to grow as a Christian? It wasn't there. I had only hid a certain part of God's word in my heart. And, and thank God that, uh, and I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody. Uh, it just, it's just the way it happened. There were circumstances in my particular life that, came across that way. I was isolated. When I first came into church, I was like very isolated. I I gotten got the Holy Ghost and boom, a couple weeks later I went to the Navy. And boom, I was out in the middle of a city in Illinois and there was like no one there in the church. And it, it was it was tough. And I didn't know I needed to seek help and and all that. And it just it was a, a circumstance that uh that Hopefully not many uh, people, new converts, go through. The Bible may provide an occasional scientific observation as well. Did you know the Bible in Isaiah uh, calls the world round? Calls it a circle? This is way back then. Way back before the scientists got together and determined it was round. It describes historical events in the ancient Near East, or nowadays we call that the Middle East. But this is not its main purpose. The focus of Scripture is on revealing God and guiding believers to the kingdom of God. Everything written in the Bible follows this subtext. Using the Bible for, for any other purpose, it will become frustrating to try to pick things out that aren't really there. That or, or you're just to prove one thing, like I was. It become, became frustrating. Well, how are you living in your regular life? Not really good. But I know how to fight that Baptist down the street. Let us then use scriptures appropriately by rightly dividing the word of truth. 
sharing the gospel with others, and building up believers in the faith. That's what we need to be do. My One of my first verses that I memorized coming to the Lord was Luke 24, 47. It, right off the bat, does anybody know what that theme is? It's the Great Commission. It's just Luke's version of the Great Commission. And I knew you had to be baptized in the Jesus name. And that was the first thing. But then I learned, give ear to my word, O Lord. Consider by meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. In Psalms 5. It, it's a beautiful, in fact, it's on our fasting list there. Our, one of the scriptures on the back of that. God, that's what I want. That's, give, you know, listen to my voice. God, let me, let me have a secret place with you when I pray. God's word teaches us how to please God. Deuteronomy uh, 4, 6 is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And in these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. The verses I just read are called the Shema in the Jewish, by the Jewish people. It is the centerpiece of their daily morning and evening prayer services. And considered by one, this is the Jewish faith I'm talking about. It's considered by some the most essential prayer in all Judaism. I think it's awesome. And, and we, are, we stand behind the Jewish people. We always have the America, Christian. We do. We stand behind them because we know how much God loves that people. But we are not Jewish. We believe. We, I think it's awesome we share this Old Testament together. We are not Jewish. So, so I'm, not, I'm not saying that we need to recite this, but I'm saying how important it is not only to the Jews as they do it daily, but for us to remember the word of God, that there's only one Lord. There is. And it's so important to understand that because it gives you a personal relationship with him, a personal image of him. He's only one God. When I look up and pray, I see one God. I, I, I'm talking to one God. I'm not saying we need to recite this. We're not, as I mentioned, we're not Jewish. Uh, in the book of Acts, uh, many Jews became Christians and many Gentiles, non-Jews, became Christians. But no one became Jewish. And it's unfortunate that even to this day, there are some Messianic Jews and, and they believe in Jesus and stuff like that. But, but it, when you read the epistles or read the, the, Acts and all, uh, the book of Acts and stuff like that, you see the, the importance of the conversion to Christianity. They were first called Christians in there. As Christians, we quote it, the Shema, in reference of knowing that there is only one God. And when Jesus walked the earth, he was the same God. Isn't that great? He was the great I am, the one true God, the Lord, the only Lord. We quote it, we quote it, not quote it. We quote it because we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. All our emotions should reflect a love of God when considering these verses. We also love God with our minds, which give us the ability to com uh, contemplate and make choices. The abilities to think and feel are unique to us, humans. And we're made in God's image. Remember that word image. We're going to go back to that in a little bit. We are called to love God in our thoughts and feelings. It is not a half-hearted effort. We are, we are to pursue these things 
strength. God's word gives us wisdom and insight into ourselves and understanding of the world around us. It provides not only knowledge, but wisdom. I know some of you are going to relate to this because I've seen you pray. But you can kind of like feel. Go through a shopping mall. Go through something. And you can, yeah, my wife says this to me a lot. I don't feel right about right this. Let's go out of this place. When you're in touch and you know that who God is, and you hide that word to your heart, and you feel that, and you pray in the faith and all that, you, you, you can discern that. God gives you that ability. I, I believe that with all my heart. That, that can happen. Now, to bring it to a different level, then that's something else. To go confront somebody is, is a different level. And I, I know there are evangelists and preachers and stuff like that that can do that, and God has given them that gift to do that. But for us, I believe we, it's kind of like a little early warning sensor, like on the front of your car, if you guys have one of those, beep, okay, let's go this way, let's stop, Holy Ghost, wisdom is when knowledge is applied usefully and appropriately, you have to be wise with the word of God, man, it can hurt people, it can, when you use it inappropriately, right to myself, yeah, you can't believe this, you're going to go to hell if you do this. I'm never going to talk to you again then if you go that way. We just lost a soul or in my life. I've lost a soul. Hopefully it'll be picked up somewhere else where somebody realized that I was doing something wrong and they're able to, you know, hey, no, that guy probably didn't know that. I remember riding uh, up to uh, Virginia and I picked up this hitchhiker. He had a big sign going to the naval base, and that's where I was going to. And uh, so I, I put in Carmen tape. Thank God for Carmen, right? She just drives. And uh, I started talking about the Lord. And I was a little wiser. I, I was down south. I wasn't up north anymore. Not that there was anything wrong there, but I was growing. And, he, you know, he looked at me, and he goes, you know what? You sound just like this guy in my church. Or not my church, but the church I visited. Except that pastor, he pointed his finger at me, told me I was, like, going to hell or something. And I immediately, the Holy Ghost said, no, no, no. I said, listen, I've been in church for a little while, and I've seen a lot of people, and sometimes those preachers don't know who they're pointing at. <laughs> sometimes they're just like, ah, talking to them, talking to that, ah, you know, that. I said, don't take it the wrong way. And hopefully, that worked out. Because the guy that dropped him off before I picked him up, went that he went to that church. And he became my best friend. So he dropped him off on the way to Jacksonville, Florida. And I picked him up on the way to Virginia. We picked up the same guy. Dropped him off. Church, God, don't tell me God doesn't coordinate things, right? All right, let me skip ahead just a couple of minutes because I want to get to uh, the lamp part of the word of God. Uh, Psalm 119 says this, verse uh, 101. I have refrained my feet from everyday evil that I might keep thy word. Often we set our feet toward an evil path, and then sometimes it's too late to stop. Oh, what did I do that for? It could be anything. It could be a small thing, a big thing. 
you guys, you guys know. In other words, we have gone too far before we realize just how far we have gone. Uh, instead, it is better to purposefully avoid all tempting situations whenever possible. The Bible tells us, and we'll read it in a little bit, that God's word is a lamp to our feet. Those of us who have lived in urban areas most of our lives or your lives, because I have not, uh, may have never experienced true darkness. And I, I, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but, well, I will. Have you ever experienced true darkness? Okay, there's some people here. So now let's see if that was really true darkness. And that's, I guess, it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? We may say it's dark outside, but we all, around here we have a variety of uh, headlights, street lights, billboard advertisements, exterior lighting from homes and businesses. We might say, whoa, it's dark outside as we go down to the gas station to pick up a thing of milk that we forgot to get. But there's lights around. You can say, oh, it's dark. <clears throat> Even if we escape the lights of the city and go out to um, uh, the lock farm out in uh, Alva or North Fort Myers or Port Charlotte, wherever they live out there by the Civic Center, uh, God has provided moons and stars uh, overhead as sources of light. Because of this, it may be hard for us to experience true darkness. However, some of us have. Renee and I, uh, in 1993, we headed out from Jacksonville, Florida with another couple. In fact, the guy that I was talking about, him and his wife, uh, we headed out to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We ended up 500 miles in Newmarket, Virginia, where he's from. We decided to go to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. But while we were there, we went down to the Luray Caverns. Have anybody heard of those? You've been up there. So we went down into there, into this cave, and just like they do probably in all the other tour guides, at the very end, they flip the switch. And you're in complete darkness. And it's pretty dark. And you're, and you're there. Uh, there's another time, uh, Renee and I, the kids, uh, had a little family vacation to Mount Rushmore back in early 2000. 2003, and uh, um, uh, over there, Mount Rushmore, we went to the Black Hills Cave Tour, and besides besides not understanding our tour guide's accent, that's another story, we experienced darkness again. However, the most memorable experience with darkness for me was one of my many times in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, in on one particular moonless night, it had, uh, there were heavy clouds blocking the starlight. I experienced complete darkness, really for the first time. I have sailed on at least four oceans in the world out of the seven, a dozen seas and gulfs and many lakes and waterways, but the Atlantic Ocean sky was the darkest. I remember stepping out into the break from the interior of the ship. The break is, is just a vestibule that uh, stops the wind. You open up the door, you go in, then you go out the other door out to outside. And I remember thinking, man, it is dark in here. I can't wait to open the door. I think I was throwing some trash out. Yeah, we used to do that in the middle of the ocean, throw trash out, and it sinks, and everything was good. I don't think they do that anymore. <clears throat> if, if, if I were to tell you to come up here, and find a piece of dust on this carpet that's the same color, it would take you probably less time to find that piece of trash that I fell out, I threw out in the ocean. That's how big the Atlantic Ocean is. It was doing nothing. 
I know some of you guys are going to throw stuff at me. But you're going to come and give me a tree to plant in my yard just to help me out. So then I opened the door to the outside thinking, yes, I'll get some light. But I realized the darkness outside was the same as inside. I was like, what? And I, I stepped out because there's a knife edge. There's, you know, the, the hatch there, these doors. You ever been through a tour of a ship? You can open the hatch and you reached out. And my legs started shaking a little bit. We're in the middle of the ocean, right? I knew that to my right, six feet was the rail. In front of me was a, a, a sea sparrow missile launcher. I knew that because I had been there a hundred times. But there was something about the darkness that got me nervous. And I couldn't see the sky. I couldn't see my hand in front of me. And I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And I was like, whew. So I probably just heaved the, the garbage bag. If that's what it was for, it might have been for something else. Might have just been going out to get some fresh air. I experienced true darkness for the first time in my life. In our world, see, we might take light for granted, but without light, we can do nothing. Spiritually thinking for them as well. We may go through dark places filled with uncertainty and doubt, but when we follow God's word, it keeps us from stumbling and falling or being led astray down the wrong path. Psalm 119, 105, here's that verse. The Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thinking about that, think about that when I stepped over. How nice it would have been if there was a light there. Think about it. God's walking in God's spirit is the same. If we don't have that light, that lamp hidden in our heart, we are stepping out to the unknown. We don't know where we are going. There's another thing called cruise control. It's a great feature, but not for a Christian. It's an add-on accessory probably placed there by the devil. You don't buy it from God. You don't come to this with cruise control in your life. We need to get our faith off cruise control and take initiative in our faith. We have to be alert and vigilant about what may be happening around us. God does not promise us a road that is straight and smooth. You may say, well, I've been out this, this uh, windbreak, this vestibule a um, hundred times. I know where I'm going. It's dark. It doesn't matter. I can find my way. <sighs> How does that work out for us when we step back out, me, step back out into the world? Oh, I know where I'm going. I know God's telling me. But, oh, it doesn't work out like that. Oh, you think, oh, I can do this. I can take, I know, I know my way. Not without God's word. God's word is not an ancient relic of long ago. Theology is not an ivory tower discipline. In other words, whatever they say up there, must, it must be right. Those are misconceptions. The purpose of both God's word and theology is to help us discover who God is. By knowing who God is, we might better understand ourselves. Uh, there was a classic evangelical, uh, evangelical guy was an evangelist, author, excuse me. Uh, he, he, he wrote this book, and he put it this way. Uh, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We tend, by a secret law in us, move towards a mental image of God. We all have a mental image of who God is, or we used to. 
But that image is not always based on what God really is. Right? Oh, when I was younger as a kid, I thought of God a certain way. When I got into church, I realized I was might have been thinking about God the wrong way. We have God's word and theology to help us have the right image of God. So when we move towards God, we are moving towards a God who is, who is rather than the God we have imagined. And when we hide the word of God, uh, the word of God in our hearts, we can see him clearer. Once we know the God who is, we can live a meaningful and intentional in an in in intentional manner. Of course, none of us are identical, so our walks and faith may have different paths due to our select calling, talent, and job circumstances. Um, I might be uh, going over it for the first time, so let's stand. Let me read that again. Our, we don't have identical, identical walks. None of us do. They might be similar in some ways, but none of, none of them are identical. We all have different talents, jobs, circumstances, different paths, different callings. With this in mind, our goal then is not to develop people of faith with uniformity, but rather with what is authentic. Right? I don't want to be just like you. I want to be real in my walk with God. If I try to be like Bishop, I'm not going to be true to myself. And in my walk, because he's done, he's walked differently than I have. We are apostolic, yes, that's similar, but differently. Let us not only seek God so we might know the truth, remember, but also so we might perform what is true. When we open the door to the unknown, make sure we can see where we are stepping is true. But Brother Pearl, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. I know God's going to guide my footsteps. You see, Psalm 119, 105 says, The Lamb that will shed the light and guide you when you step out in faith. 105, that, the Word of God is the lamp that's going to guide you when you step out in faith. That sight, I am not, I am not led by sight but by faith it doesn't mean you're gonna you can't see where you're going that's not what that scripture means it means you're using faith to see the word of God it's true that sometimes we don't know exactly where God is taking us but it doesn't mean we can't bring a flashlight with us I'm just gonna do this blindly no bring the word of God see where you're going. I'm going to end up in California if I leave here. I want to make sure I stay on God's path to get there. I don't want to end up in Canada somewhere. In other words, your walk with God. God might give you, hey, you're going to be here in five years. You got to make sure you're not on cruise control during that five years and doing what God wants. Let us desire truth in our inward parts, the psalm says, or or hearts. We pursue truth so we might not only know and practice truth, but we experience and feel truth in a meaningful way. This truth is beyond intellectual reasoning and exact practice. 
It's here we discover a life of faith that takes hold of our core, of the core of our being. And it transforms us in a very powerful way. So let's go live out God's word. Why don't we lift our hands right now? Lord, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You are awesome, God. In the presence of the Lord, that's where you'll find everything that you need. And when we seek his face, he'll draw near to us. Thank you, Jesus.